I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Sports Joe presents... The GAA Hour. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the GAAR. My name is Lee Costello and I am delighted to be joined by Tyrone legend Sean Kavner. Sean has teamed up with AIB, proud partner of the Gold Mail, to encourage communities in Ireland to step up together and take part of the Gold Mail this Christmas. AIB are also offering people the chance to win €1,000 by registering for their Gold Mail by visiting www.goldmail.org. So without further ado, he was three-time All-Ireland winner, five-time All-Star winner, and 2008 Player of the Year, Sean Gatman. Hi, Sean. How are things? Hi, all good, man. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, obviously a, a talent. I think I talk about it every podcast episode. I'm a big Tyrone fan, so I'm really excited about this. <laughs> what, uh, what part of Toronto are you from? I'm from a little village called Coke. It's just outside Cookstown. I know it well, yeah, yeah, yeah. George Best uh, for Coke United, didn't he? Uh, well, I'll tell people that he did, but I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's where ramen things like my dad remember saying to me, oh, I went to see, like, I think it was Coke or George Best when played one time. I, mean, yeah, yeah, I think it was Tobermore, actually. I know what you're talking about. He played this ramen game. Tobermore culture, see the thing. Yeah, same thing. I'm from there too. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, obviously you've made a big decision recently. You know, you've hung up the boots, you've retired. But it's not the first time, you know, that you've retired. You recently came out of retirement. So I just wanted you to talk us through that situation, why you did that and in what capacity you did so. Okay, look, I think the only, only you get me, the more the sort of club means to you and uh, means more to you. And yeah, like I kind of had tried to walk away a couple of years ago and I actually ended up coming back. I kind of walked away two years ago, come back the following year um, and to, to try and dig them out because uh, we were in a, like a relegation playoff. Um, we'll play it then. And then this year, the, the club had a, a sort of number of lads who were sort of injured at the start of the year and the way of playing the States and stuff. And I'd been playing basketball in the off season, which you do. And 
I was probably in decent enough sort of shape and sort of you get you get you get pulled back into it. A skater star always starts with uh actually you come down here and if we're we're short a couple of numbers in the trading game or something, you're standing in there, see how you get on and then the typical sort of man thing, you stand in and you get on all right and you're like, Ah, sure I'll, I'll I'll give it a go here for a week or so and you don't tell the wife what you didn't. Uh and then you sort of get sucked back in and that the body was holding up rightly. And then I suppose the Things weren't going so well performance-wise and the opportunity then come to category to the management piece as well and kind of left in a bit of a hybrid role then from from sort of August onwards was a, was a player manager role. And because it was a club that I loved, because um, we were doing well, uh, I, I loved the buzz of it. Like, I still am a, a huge football man, deep-rooted to core and... Whenever I saw my own club doing well, whenever I was part of that, whether it was on the sideline or on the pitch itself, it just gave me a man's pride. And um, yeah, but I, I do have to grow up at some point. I am coming 41 and uh, I do have four young kids. I do have a, a pretty big business here. And yeah, lots of things kind of happen in my life. So it all it almost is like I, I, don't, I don't have time anymore, is the best way of saying it, for what you need to sacrifice to be a top level sort of club player or club manager probably I don't have the time to do that but I'll never be able to say no to my own club either because I just I just love it so much so I think the club knows that as well that whenever they, they need somebody they'll always come knocking and say oh god Sean might be able to give us a dig out and they'll know that I'll struggle to say no so that's the way it kind of played out this year, but yeah, I think I'm I'm, I'm this at this time I'm gonna I'm gonna try and stick to it as much as possible. But then, but then it's the John Downs done at forty five and midfield for his club yeah. and sort of looking going. You never know, you never know. As on yeah. the yeah, the the bags at the back door. It'll, it'll be in the it'll be in the yards this weekend for whenever I'm I'm pulling out the Christmas stuff. <laughs> Uh, talk to me about that hybrid role because player manager it's an unusual enough uh, situation in Gaelic football even even at club level um, did you find it tricky trying to you know when do you bring yourself on you know decisions like that must be yeah, hard to make well, it definitely opens that up bloody abuse as well whenever I was coming on it was, I, I was let know not God you just took off a good player and you brought yourself on there you idiot <laughs> but uh, yeah it, it probably worked okay because I kind of had that discipline then. Obviously, I always sort of started myself on the sideline and I was able to kind of watch the game in the in the first half and sort of analyze just where, where maybe we, we could get at the opposition and how we could sort of change things around. And, and because I suppose I'd, I'd played in a lot, a lot of different positions as well in my career, I was able to then decide where I was best suited to come in, just given the kind of opposition and the circumstances of the game. And, and sometimes I come in at full forward and, and was kind of that front line player. And other times I come in, ran around midfield, or even sometimes as like a defensive minded midfielder, just depend on, on the same and kind of where I where 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 I felt that there was there was opportunity to improve the team. And yeah, it worked out more than not, I would say. And uh, I yeah, I got to got to enjoy getting the lungs open and playing a bit of football as well. But like, yeah, it's somewhat challenging as well. Like there's no getting away from that. The fact that there's, there were a number of games that we had to make kind of decisions towards the end of the game. And if I'm standing 70 metres away from the sideline and trying to get a message across, like I had to kind of lead them a couple of games, said a like water guy, water boys and all the team here go down and tell that like a good friend of mine was, was, was kind of in along with me then as well. So I was going around going, here, get the match down to Gary to, 
get 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 subjects off and bring subjects on and time to switch there with him. And um, now it, it, it it's, it's not a bad thing either because like there's advantages to being on the pitch as well and understanding. I think when you're on the pitch, you can understand the flow of the game much better. Um, particularly when you're a bit slower, like I am these days, uh, you're not you're not as as fast moving, so you're able to observe things a bit better. Uh, so yeah, like I, 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 I definitely think it can be done, and I think we 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 made a good stab at, at being very successful with it. Um, probably could and should have maybe won one on 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 the county final day, and um, but other than that, we we it, it definitely worked for us, and yeah, it get it uh yeah worked for me too. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, let's take it right back then because obviously I already mentioned you know as a Jerome fan growing up watching. I, I was watching a uh, golden generation of Tyrone, but I was probably too young to realize that that's what it was. I was just sort of, listen, it's always going to be and always will be. Um, but you were actually one of the youngest on that team, especially in 2003. Were you even really aware of it at that time? Like, did you know that you had something really special here, but it probably won't last forever? No, I, I had no idea, to be honest. I, I kind of grew up with that little bit of uh, useful arrogance almost that, you know, I came into the team in 2002 with Big Art McCrory and YouTube and great men there were. And we we won, we we waltzed through the National League that year. One of them, I think, we beat, we beat the final, beat Calvin in the final down in Clonus by about 20 points or something. Um, but like for me, it was just like, you know, I had grown up watching Peter Canavan, obviously, and he was kind of my hero. So being able to play with your hero was, was just phenomenal. And, um, just in those early years of like 02, 03, 04 and 05, for me it was sort of looking across the, the cheese room and seeing Peter Ganovitz sitting the other end and sort of getting giddy to himself more so than anything. But, you know, and Mickey, Mickey had, a, had a great role to play as well at that point in time because I think uh, it's probably an interesting thing because I think he, he sees something somewhat similar in Derry right now, but I think Mickey saw like in 2002 we were a great team and we we were I think we were primed and ready to win on All Ireland even that year we had a bit of bad luck at Sligo in the last 16 where no number of injuries probably including himself but um, I I think Mickey come in to a squad that was getting better at a at a serious rate and had a real sense of sort of belief even though we were most of us were very young at that stage. And Mickey gave us the sort of magic dust of making us feel somewhat invincible and was great at sort of doing the drill against the world. And we just bonded incredibly strongly. And, and But did I did I realize that we would, that, that a drone team would, would not be like that? No, I didn't think because it's all I knew as, a, as an 18 year old making the debut in Dugan against Dublin. In 2002, I, 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 was, I, was, I was obviously buzzing, but I, I just felt that the, sure, that's what drone teams are. We were, we were just, just great, great footballers, and, and maybe it's always going to be the guess. And I have to say, the one thing about Mickey was he always, every year I took to the field as a drone player, I always felt we were going to win the All-Ireland. Now, we didn't more than we did, but at the same time, he had a, a great way of making you feel uh, special and... But yeah, that that group we had probably from two thousand and two or three right through to sort of two thousand and nine, ten. That that uh, incredible group. Um, a bit like I think I think it's a bit like the, the sort of Dublin of the sort of twenty eleven through to whatever, probably twenty seventeen or eighteen or nineteen. Um, 
I think we had a, a group of exceptional people and, and we had the we went through a, a fair bit of turmoil as well and, and heartache with Cormac and, and Paul before that, but and then Michaela. But yeah, we it, it, it was incredible times. And even before that, and this, this is just such a silly question, but I've read your book a couple of times and the one that I always laugh at is your university years because you're obviously primarily a midfielder in full forward at times, but primarily a midfielder. And one of your biggest strengths was your athleticism. But actually, back in the day beforehand, uh, diet was maybe a struggle of yours and you nearly got the best of you. And uh, you, Damian Barton said a great line to you. He was the Jordanstown manager at the time, I think. Uh, whatever you're eating, half it, and whatever you're training, double it. What, what was going on back then? Yeah, this is great. Like, uh, yeah, uh, 2002, yeah, after 2000, yeah, 2002, I was my first year in university, like, for his pressure at Georgetown, the crack was good, like, so, yeah, it was, it was more about what you were getting for a carryout rather than what, 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 what time the gym was, was happening at, like, so, that was back in the good old things whenever you actually got to really let your hair down in the off season. So, we want to, in 2001, we won All-Ireland Minor with Jerome. And then, uh, whatever, I was I was straight in then to sort of first year of university. It was fresher in 2002. 2002, kind of played the year, but I picked up a few injuries and stuff. I, I rolled my ankle and missed the Sligo game and stuff towards the end of the year. But I was enjoying myself. There was a, a trip. So at least three nights a week, I was I was, I was out out in, in, in Belfast then and sort of tidied myself up somewhat for the for the sort of 2002 summer county season, but then got injured and then slipped into sort of Belfast again and, and the crack was good. But Damien Barton took over the Sigerson in, in Jordan Center. I remember we were running around one night, must be then around sort of maybe October 2002, November 2002, we were running around the Mary Peters track. And, and I'm not even joking you, we were doing, I don't know what we're doing, we're doing maybe like 400 meter runs or something. But I remember one night I was I was struggling. I got two or three nights out in a row in Belfast and the crack was good. And my wife turned or coined the term Chunky Sean back then. I definitely was carrying a bit of beat. Uh, and I remember trying to run in one of these sort of maybe like four by 400 meter runs in. I was trying to, trying to keep up with the rest of the lads and struggling to do that. And I remember seeing this like freaking 60 year old woman dash past me and run past me. And it was Damien Bart who brought to me after that, and he and he, he genuinely pulled me aside, and he said that he goes, "Whatever you're eating, have it. Whatever you're training, double it." And then he goes to me, and this, I think it must be around November. He goes because we're gonna, he goes, we're gonna start doing a bit of extra training, big man. And in fairness to him, he, he, he was he was incredible because he, uh, me, and there was two or three all lads, a lad from Galway, a lad eighty eighty McCrory, and. Um, Gave me my own club as well. It was George signed by Mark George at that point in time. Uh, and and, and he, he, he wanted to rang me and he said, Sean, we're going running around uh, where Surpass Academy Dungannon is. Uh, we, we went to the pitches down there. It was like a big sort of cross-country track and a couple of pitches in the middle. And like he would have rang me and said, Sean, me, you, and a couple of other lads are going like on a, say, have been a random Sunday morning or something. And, and he, he genuinely called me and he met me and a couple of other lads and he ran the absolute bollocks off us. Um, but I remember him saying to me after one of the sort of runs that we did, like an individual thing with him, I remember him saying to me, Sean, uh, uh, like he was friendly, he would have taught with Art McCrory um, and, and, and St. Pat's, Dungan and St. Pat's, uh, what have been the intermediate from Gannon at that point, so St. Pat's College. 
And I remember him saying to me privately, he said, look, uh, I, I, I've been chatting to Art and I know Art thinks a, a huge amount of you. And I know Art has sort of said to me, if you got yourself athletically right, you, you would be a serious, serious, serious footballer for Tyrone. And he said that like as a dairy man, sort of saying that like, and he said that in a very sort of genuine way that um, he, he had my best interest at heart. And yeah, it's, it's one of those moments, Lee, to be honest, I kind of look back and go, you know what, Art McCrory and, and Damien Barton, even though I only really played for them for the guts of a year, that they, they had a big they had a big impact in, in kind of turning, turning me into the footballer that it was because in 2003, I kind of then sprung onto the scene I kind of, as the year went on, then I, I kind of went from a sort of heaviest corner forward to I got the Johnson midfield and athletically, then I was able to get up and down the pitch, and it was it was quite hard to handle then from there on. So uh, I I definitely look back at those sorts of critical moments that my career kind of went in different directions, and and and, and Damien and Art was a was a big big driving force around uh, getting me in the right shape that I needed to be. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Damien's son, Shane Barton, managed my minor team and he's still the best manager I ever had. So I can only imagine oh, what, what it, he was like. Like You know what the best thing and I would say about Damien and, and Art? Like, Damien and Art were incredibly direct to your face. I, said, yeah. like, I remember actually we played in 2002 down in the qualifier in, in, in Wexford and I'm one of these bizarre sort of lads. I, I don't eat salad, so I don't eat salad. Um, <laughs> so the... They, they would roll out like you know soup and sandwiches before a match or something, and they'd roll out like we're sitting over hotel in Wexford, and they rolled out well like twenty five trays of salad sandwiches, and I was like, ah, oh, freaking hell, I'm starving here. So I remember, I remember clearing off to like a wee local shop in Wexford on my own, and I landed back with like a Mars bar and a bag of potato with cheese and onion, and like a Lucasade, and Art like put his arm over my shoulder, and he's like. Big man, I'm happy to get rid of this stuff out of your dad right away. But he was, he was, he was like joking with the jag. It was like, man, yeah. you better get rid of that. Uh, but at, at the same time, you knew he, he had your best interest at heart. And and Damien was the same. Like Damien, have no ball to tell you, you're fat, you're useless uh, unless you actually get 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 lose two stone for me. But he was telling you to better yourself. So yeah, both of them, both of them men were were brilliant, but brutal at the same time. Yeah, I bet. Um, well, it all worked out in the end, obviously. You became a great footballer part of that great team. And in 2008 in particular, you won Player of the Year. Um, I was wondering, in, in your opinion, do you think that that was the best version of Sean Kavna? Because there's an argument that a little bit maybe later in the career, you maybe just didn't have, they weren't as part of as great a team. So the All-Irelands weren't there and maybe go on a little bit unnoticed. But you would only know yourself how, how you felt. Yeah, no, I, I, I probably didn't. If I'm honest with you, like, I actually, I actually, I, I always kind of weird that, like, if you ask me right now, go and pick a team where you'd want to play. I, I probably even as a 18 year old as a minor, like, I, I wore number eleven. I always felt I was, I was the best place of me was number eleven because I always had this. I was, I was reasonably good at, at sort of finishing and scoring, which I always want to be close-ish to goal, but equally. I'm just this sort of, I've like a bound, I always had like a, a boundless energy and a, and a real zest for looking the ball. So it used to frustrate me a lot when I was inside as I was 14 because I wanted to get out and be able to complete for checkouts and, and sort of be run on the, off the shoulder and the over, overlap and stuff. So it used to frustrate me that. So, but the problem was we had a, 
with a pretty good number 11 for those golden golden years as well. So I, I never really had, had the chance. I never ran, was knocking around there. But in 2008, I'd say for, for a lot of the year, I actually was very frustrated. I remember actually saying to Mickey in a couple of stage, stages, going, look, I'm I get delighted here. I don't think I'm bringing out the best version of myself here as a, as a 14. But I can, at first, Mickey he sort of said to me, he goes, look, I, I think that's where we need you right now because he probably had looked at, and that's what most good managers do, they look at the resources that, that they had. And at that point in time, we, we had, obviously, Brian and Marty Penrose was kind of playing at around 11. We had Cully Holmes and Rand Malm, uh, Kevin Hughes, boys like that were fairly, pretty strong in around midfield. And we probably were somewhat late up top. You know, as that was the year, Colin McCullough came in, he was a small sort of style player. Tommy Wigan was the other side of me and he he kind of roamed out. So Collie and, and Tommy sort of roamed out the pitch, picked up a lot of ball. They were kind of like playmaker type players. So obviously Mickey thought with, with, with Stevie not around, he had, he had that knee injury. Obviously at part of, early part of 2008 that there, there was a, a gap there in the team that he needed a sort of physical presence and, and a scoring threat. And I suppose that's what he saw me as. But uh, would I say played my best football in 2008? Probably not, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Like I, I would say, I was probably happier. Like 2004, I felt I was actually playing most of the best football. I was, I was playing at that stage, and and those other years, um, that that have felt like 2007. I felt I was playing as well, but I was playing as a midfielder. Um, like 2013, had a really good year playing as sort of a wing forward midfielder as well. So. Yeah, there was lots of other years. I actually, I would say, I I I was playing better football, but that 2008 team, I, I would admit, it I could see what Mickey in hindsight, I could see what he was trying to do, but it did frustrate me that I wasn't having the impact on games at times that I that I felt I should have been. I felt I felt a little bit of a fraud at times when I wasn't getting my hands on the ball and. I wasn't like competing for kickouts and hit, making big tackles around midfield because that's what, to me, that's what my game was around. But look, it it worked out. So who might argue with Mickey Hart? Yeah, well, it's funny you should mention that because that makes a good segue. Because I was going to say, uh, what followed next probably was looking back transitional years. You know, from what we call the golden generation, from I don't know maybe twenty eleven till about twenty fifteen when that All Ireland under twenty one team started to come through really uh what mickey probably doesn't get enough credit for is that during that time those transitional years didn't feel like transitional years you know every season it still felt like Tyrone were there and thereabouts there was quarterfinals semifinals lots of big days to enjoy and you were captain throughout that period so you were a big part of that the link between the two teams but as you uh publicly said a few times your relationship with mickey was maybe a little fractured from i think it was 2009 onwards did you did you find that difficult then being so close to them, probably closer to them in terms of stature and and uh, you know ranking uh, than you were previously, but maybe not as close relationship wise. Yeah, like I I, I think actually South and Mickey in, in some senses were maybe quite similar. As in, I I wouldn't say find that difficult. I don't think he would have found it difficult either. Even though both of us knew that obviously the like I I did take offense at that that point in time um of the comments in the book and I felt a little bit sort of hard done by and and Bernice let me he apologized to me over it he said the ghost writer had put something in that he shouldn't have it but like yeah it was, at the time it, it wasn't a wasn't it wasn't a huge uh 
uh, that, that didn't totally uh, uh, buy into it, agree to it. Again, I said, oh, well, look, I, I don't, don't really believe what you're saying to me, but I'll, I'll park it. I think both of us learned to park that sort of personal piece for the betterment of Tyrone. And I think both of us, well, if, well I felt anyway, like I, I, I'm one of these sorts of guys, uh, like I, I, I don't mind, I, I do, I, I take a lot of black and criticism at times, and obviously you're sitting in a Sunday game and you're saying stuff, you're always going to get that, but it, it genuinely doesn't annoy me too much, and I suppose I, I was in spotlight with a county career for such a long time, I, I kind of learned to deal with that, and I think Mickey's the same, I think I think Mickey, he, he's got a very thick skin, and he'll have to be because he's in dairy now, but at the same time, I, I think both of us knew that for the betterment of drum football, we we had to park it, and I'm I'm a very ambitious person anyway by nature, and and because of that, I, I always wanted the captain to own. I was able to win win it all Ireland as captain. That didn't happen, but I, that that was always in the sight. So I kind of knew as well. Look, I, I I can't can't be at loggerheads with someone whenever you can't live in live in Rome and fight to the Pope, and 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 I think Mickey knew that as well that he needed me and I needed him. And for the betterment of Trump football, it was just ignored. And to be honest, like we would have had a would have had a good relationship in those years. Me, it wasn't like it wasn't anything that it just and it was one of those things that kind of was put in the back burner. And um, but yeah, I I I think me and him both uh, are of a reasonably similar mindset that you just you just have to get on with things in life, and and things happen. There there be moments where. You fall out with people, or people don't agree with what you're saying. But at the same time, the, the common goal for us always was we believed that Throne can win all Ireland. And every year that I took a Throne jersey, every, I, I totally believed that the goal and the expectation was that we were going to win all Ireland. And, that, and that's what Mickey does. He's very good at, at sort of being like he's almost hypnotic and like brainwashing sort of ability, like every. Every dairy player, I've no doubt right now already, will believe they're going to win all Ireland in 2024. Uh, I'm not, not, not totally delayed by that fact, but at the same time, they will believe that. Mickey has that that, that sort of thing with him. So, yeah, and in those years, uh, even with the sort of golden generation falling away, at that stage, Peter Hart was coming on the scene and Matty Dowling was coming on the scene and like, Ramey Mulgrew was a big player for us for a year or two. He struggled after that, but there was lots of lots of new players. Ronnie O'Neill was kind of coming into things. So you did in, in Toronto, the, the thing about us is that we're that strong of a county from like a club scene perspective, and there's that much talent in the county. You're always looking around, going, "Well, you know, with with him, with with him on board or him on board, you know, we can replace uh, a Brandon McGregor or we can replace a Steve O'Neill." And um, I, I, I don't don't think anyone. Uh, can can sit with those men in terms of stature right now, looking back at it. But at that moment in time, when when you're seeing these lads coming in and you're seeing the quality and the skills that they have, I totally believe that they would come in and they would win all Irons as well. And to be honest, like that's where I remember the last thing I said as as captain of the, the team whenever I left the double base in the semi final of twenty seventeen. I remember saying to the lads, "I'm telling you here and now, you you, you will as as a player group, you both deserve." And will win all Ireland and says I can't wait to meet this all um and congratulate you and, and I was I was doing RT that day when, when they get over the line against Mayo and COVID or no COVID and I remember playing down with the suit on and hugging every single player because I was just remarkably proud of of, of Alexa Petey and Matty had Darren McCurry and these lads had soldiered for so so long and maybe all didn't always have the 
kind of success that they deserve because they are, they are they're, they're 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 great lads, incredible lads, the Connor Mailers and McGeary's and these guys as well. They can. Um, yeah, I was just so so proud. On Mickey Hart with with the dairy job now, how do you think that'll affect his legacy with Thrown, if at all? Okay, I, I I do think people will will like only natural that there's going to be a level of resentment there. Um, and I think Mickey will know that and he'll understand that as well. Like you know, I I always felt Mickey was the sort of Alex Ferguson of of Throne, and that you had that sort of twenty five or thirty years, and I could never think. Or even see it, even yet, I kind of struggle to see Mickey Hart stand with the dairy cow put him in the opposition dugout to, to Tyrone, you know, because Tyrone and, and Mickey were always sort of synonymous. And, you know, I, I am quite probably traditional in, in my thinking in that sense as well. Like, I'm, I'm one of these people, I have no ambitions whatsoever of taking another club other than the Y, or I would never get involved with another county other than Tyrone because. I just love that sort of love. I just, I just love my own people. I love my own community. I feel part of something. Like as humans, you naturally gravitate towards that sort of tribalism, and yeah, it's it, it, because of that, and, and because I know Mickey was so deep rooted and invested in Tyrone, and what have always every year was always about the sort of cult like sort of we're Tyrone and everyone else hates us, uh, so you dismiss every other county. But we're gonna come together and be so strong and have a bond like no one else. Um, because I've spent obviously sixteen years under that sort of mindset, it, it just is very strange and bizarre to feel that he could now be essentially managing our biggest rival because Derry are the best team in Ulster and probably are the contenders for Sam Maguire. So yeah, they, they are now our biggest rival, and the thought of maybe. Barry not getting thrown out of a championship or something, just uh, with Mickey Hart at the helm. Jet. For me, it just doesn't sit all that well. But obviously, Mickey has thought this thing through, and obviously, he's he's got ambitions as a manager to maybe go back and win Sam, and he obviously sees that Barry team maybe similar enough to Throne team of of two thousand two, and and he wants to lift lift Sam McGuire again. And if that's his motivation, fair play to him. He can't really argue with that either. But yeah, if I've no doubt there'll be a few Trump people not so happy. And if it doesn't go wrong, if it doesn't go right, there'll be a few dairy people not so happy. So he's definitely put himself into a bit of a pressure cooker. No, he absolutely has. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, good seeing you, man, here. Thanks a million for everything. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.